Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to Prognosis. I'm Laura Carlson. It's day 221 since coronavirus was declared a global pandemic. Today's main story, by all outward appearances, Europe seems to be entering a frightening coronavirus déjà vu at the moment. COVID-19 cases are rising quickly, and several countries are threatening widespread lockdowns. A closer look, though, reveals Europe's second wave is very different from its first. But first, here's what happened in virus news today. Global coronavirus cases have exceeded 40 million, with the pandemic showing no signs of slowing. Infections have reached record numbers across Europe, while the U.S. and India are averaging more than 50,000 cases a day. Although it took six months for the worldwide tally to reach 10 million cases, subsequent milestones have come increasingly faster, with the latest 10 million cases added in just 32 days. Global cases reached a single-day record of more than 415,000 on Friday. China's economic recovery continues to accelerate, thanks to an aggressive coronavirus containment policy that has allowed local factories to reopen. China's eastern port city of Qingdao conducted 10.9 million coronavirus tests in only five days, after 13 infections were discovered in the city. It's another demonstration of China's ambitious strategy in mass testing wherever infections are reported. Qingdao's campaign was completed roughly three times faster than a similar experiment by Wuhan in May. Chinese cities have adopted a batch testing method that enables as many as 10 samples to be assessed simultaneously. However, the strategy is rarely used in Western countries who have questioned the method's accuracy and credibility. In the Czech Republic, hundreds clashed with riot police in protest against social distancing rules and other measures imposed by the government in an attempt to stem the most acute spread of the coronavirus in Europe. The police used tear gas, water cannons, and an armored personnel carrier to disperse some 2,000 protesters who assembled at the city's Old Town Square. Meanwhile, Poland has started construction of the first field hospital for COVID-19 patients at Warsaw's National Stadium. The facility is planned to have 500 beds and will hopefully be ready later this week. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Which brings us to today's main story. Millions of Europeans are facing tighter restrictions on their movements. London, Paris, and Vienna are enforcing stricter curbs, while Ireland is preparing some of the region's toughest measures. On Monday, the government of Wales announced a two-week firebreak lockdown designed to curb the spread of the coronavirus. All non-essential retail outlets, including pubs and restaurants, will be closed from October 23rd to November 9th. I spoke with Bloomberg reporter Catherine Bosley about how Europe is hoping to control this new wave of coronavirus infections and whether another round of restrictions and lockdowns can offset the economic devastation in the region the pandemic has already caused. On Monday, Wales announced that it was going into a two-week firebreak lockdown, um, a response to the resurgence of COVID-19 cases we're seeing throughout Europe. And I was just wondering if you might unpack what is driving this new wave? Well, governments are scratching their heads just like everyone else. Uh, One hypothesis is that it's the cold weather. We've uh, had uh, the weather changed for the fall about two weeks ago, which was was sort of in time with the resurgence in cases. And with the cold weather, people spend more time indoors, which means that they're more in crowded rooms. And that seems to be an ideal breeding ground for the virus. Most European governments seem to have acknowledged that a second wave was always possible. But this wave seems to be much larger and much more difficult to contain than expected. So what went wrong? Well, there it's not clear if it's really larger. Certainly, we've had more positive tests than in, in numerical terms uh, than we did uh, in, in March and April. However, um, uh, scientists in Germany have uh, hypothesized that, in fact, it may be that there is wider testing now available. And in fact, had there been as many tests available back in the, in the early spring, that the tests would have been much higher. So it's not clear the hospitalizations now are uh, generally, I think, still lower than they were in the spring. European countries are facing an uphill battle, it seems, when it comes to lockdown fatigue. What's the sense of whether Europeans are willing to go through another phase of tighter restrictions? Well, I think certainly the uh, governments had a lot more public goodwill uh, during the first round of lockdowns, and that political capital is definitely expiring and people are getting pretty frustrated. There was a protest in a little town in Italy, uh, I think last week, um, when people when it was announced that there would be new round of restrictions, people just kind of said they'd had enough. And obviously, there had been um, protests also, for example, in Germany of people um, arguing that their, you know, civil liberties were being infringed by the government. So there definitely is an element of, of lockdown fatigue. And clearly, That is, I think, one of the reasons why governments, for example, Italy or Switzerland, they are trying to keep the economy alive or try to be as targeted as possible rather than a blanket crackdown because 
the more people's livelihoods are at stake, the more the less likely they will be to to cooperate. If you were to identify one success case in Europe, do you see one country potentially weathering this storm better than its comparative neighbors? It's very difficult to say. Uh, I would say that certainly Germany and Switzerland have weathered the storm better than uh, many other countries. I mean, many other countries than, for example, um, uh, France and Spain, um, both in terms of healthcare and in terms of um, cost to the economy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is because the policies that they enacted were, the Germany or Switzerland enacted were better. It, it may just be that obviously they had um, more robust healthcare systems because they are, are, are wealthy countries. And the nature of their economies are perhaps not as oriented to tourism and service sector than are the, the areas of economic activity that the pandemic disproportionately affects. And so thinking about these systems and that economic impact from the pandemic, I mean, what are the broader plans that European leaders are, are hoping to do and have already done to try and offset this negative economic impact from a potential general lockdown that might be coming down the road or, or just in general tighter restrictions? When the pandemic initially hit earlier this year, governments replicated, um, were very eager to replicate Germany's model of Kurzarbeit, which are furlough programs in which basically the government uh, pays companies um, which, who have to uh, suspend work due to the uh, economic crisis. And uh, therefore, people get paid or at least part, part of their salaries um, and, and don't get laid off. That's the idea. That's been very widely used. It was used in Britain. It was used in France. It was used in Spain, Germany, Switzerland and Austria, though it's very common there already before the crisis. So this was really uh, the keystone of um, of many countries' uh, response. In addition, they um, gave out various loans, interest-free or low-interest loans to companies that were affected. Um, and then there was also a moratorium on insolvencies. So um, companies that were, um, you know, at risk of of going belly up actually were sort of got a stay of execution. So those policies are likely uh, to continue. Um, there's obviously also in, in a bit more less immediate but uh, bigger impact. There is the EU 750 billion euro um, rescue fund that's likely to sort of be more of a driver for the recovery. But it's quite clear that all these fiscal and also monetary policy uh, stimuli will have to be left in place. And it's now is definitely, you know, policymakers have warned now is not the time to withdraw stimulus. Is there a worry that this stimulus cannot last the the length potentially that we're looking at for this pandemic, that now that we are facing the reality that we won't necessarily or potentially have a vaccine until 2021, is there a concern that the stimulus just simply cannot continue for the length of time that we may be facing Yes and no. Of course, in 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 theory, that is always a concern, and certainly, I think in in Britain, those uh, where there was a um, 
dispute about the uh, expiry of the furlough program. And now in, in the north of England, uh, the government has had to uh, announce new support measures for, for municipalities that have um, gone into lockdown a second time. Um, on the other hand, you know, policymakers generally, for example, in Germany have been very, uh, very eager to stress that, uh, you know, these uh, support measures are not going to expire anytime soon. So what might be a successful roadmap for Europe going forward? Again, if we're thinking about a pandemic that might be here for the next, at least until the end of 2020 into 2021, what might be a way to look forward and prevent wider lockdowns, wider restrictions and offset that negative economic impact? Well, I think you're asking me the million dollar question that nobody has the answer to. Um, certainly, I th the, the you know, golden way will, would be to steer a course in which you're able to keep a grip on or a lid on infections and certainly on serious cases and deaths. And at the same time, manage the economy in such a way that people are still as much as possible able to go to work and live uh, as normal lives as they can. That's clearly what the government in Italy is trying to do. The government in Switzerland is as well. Um, Germany, uh, I think, also um, is probably going to try to find a middle ground somewhere. And in an ideal case, French finance minister Bruno Le Maire has said, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, a second real lockdown um, is just going to be incredibly costly for the economy. So they're just going to have to try and see what works uh, to to satisfy both the economic and the healthcare imperatives. So in terms of this recent announcement by Wales in which everything is shut down, anything considered non-essential, it doesn't sound necessarily like this is something many European leaders want to do or are thinking that there is tolerance for going forward, that there will be additional restrictions, but not an overall lockdown approach as similar to what we saw in M March or April? Well, it's hard to say. They may, of course, if, if the situation, uh, the healthcare situation becomes worse, I mean, we're already seeing, you know, record infections. If it gets even worse and hospitals become overburdened, they may have little choice. That said, you know, the public is aware of the economic costs that all of these these measures have had. So and uh, of course, these are, are also uh, voters. So I have politicians will have to figure out how to uh, essentially square the circle. Germany never really had a full, full lockdown the way France or Spain had. So um, and managed to get through the first wave very well. So I, I think that there will be uh, politicians and, and decision makers across uh, across Europe are just going to have to try and take baby steps and and do the best that they can. That was Catherine Bosley. And that's it for our show today. For coverage of the outbreak from 120 bureaus around the world, visit Bloomberg.com slash coronavirus. And if you like the show, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It's the best way to help more listeners find our global reporting. The Prognosis Daily Edition is produced by Topher Forges, Jordan Gospure, Magnus Henriksen, and me, Laura Carlson. Today's main story was reported by Catherine Bosley. Original music by Leo Sidrin. 
Our editors are Rick Schein and Francesca Levy. Francesca Levy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks for listening. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.